Hi, this <laughs> welcome to Hit Rewind. I had a snafu right before we hit record. <laughs> Awkward. Uh, I'm your host, Michael, the idiot one. <laughs> the smart one's on the other side, John. <laughs> well, that's that's I'd say that's debatable. No, everybody knows I'm a, I'm a fucking idiot. Um, so this episode is going to be the launch of our discussion of 1980. Or 1980? Oh my god, let's start over. Let's scratch the whole thing. Hey, I'll zip, rock, zip, up, zip, 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 zip. Hey, everybody, welcome to it's the 1990 season of Hit Rewind. We've discussed everything so far. Games, comics, music, uh, but now it's time for movies. And we're going to be discussing four films from 1990. Bird on a Wire, uh, Ernest Goes to Jail, Farfig Nugget, House Party. Uh, Men at Work. Men at Work, thank you. I, how, did I forget, how did I forget my favorite of the four? The one I've seen a million times, Son of a Gun. Uh, I have notes, but I'm trying to get my memory working better because I don't want to be like... Well, look, you're just going to have to do this experiment with me. <laughs> All right, so which one do you want to start with? Well, I guess let's do the what is now apparently a divisive one, uh, Men at Work. This is divisive? I thought everybody loved this movie. Well, for me, I didn't find it funny at all. This is my first time watching. Okay, all right, all right. You know what? Let me, let me explain why, well, not necessarily why I don't think it was funny. I just don't think it was funny. But in a way, what I think might have made this work better. I have a feeling that had this film either not been one, you know, uh, been 100% like straightforward, like in, like a little thriller, or uh, was like a darkly, you know, darkly comic in like a Coen Brothers sort of way, I think this would have worked better for me. As is, that's not really the kind of film that either, you know, Emilio Estevez or Charlie Sheen makes. So, well, they, they've both been in serious films, but... Uh, it, like when it comes to humor, that's not their Coen Brothers is not necessarily their style of humor, and I think that's to the detriment of it. Is just they're trying to be funny, and I don't think anything really lands. And all the, it being in the on the serious side of things, this I think would succeed if they just kind of cut the humor out of it. Yeah, it's it's funny that both of them have done comedies and they've done fairly well at them, but Milo's directing this. And he's only ever done dramas. This is the only thing that he has ever done that had any sort of sense of humor to it. And he wanted to do it because it had the ecological elements, you know, the social commentary elements to it. Um, I do feel like, look, I love this movie, but I do see where you're coming from. There's a tonal problem for sure. And I think it's he saw the opportunity to direct again because his first movie, Wisdom, tanked. And he signed up with a lower-level company, um called Epic Pictures, who I think was some more born out of Trans World and Empire Pictures together. I'm not sure. But uh, it was a big coup for them because they actually had real names behind this. But, of course, they did it for cheap. I think they shot some of this in Canada because most of these are Canadian actors. And, um, and you know, he has his brother in it, so they, they probably did it for a very cut rate. This was a summer release. And I just remember thinking, like, this seems like an odd place to shove this into a summer especially a summer so filled with great movies um but i saw it when i was what 14 13 14 and i loved it i still find a lot of comfort in it it's not a great movie but it's a fun movie if i mean that's the only thing i can say is i really have a good time watching it well what's funny is uh, of all these films i i've only seen one of them prior to this and but i'm very familiar with the existence of all of these because of in 
actually for I think three of uh, three of these films, they were all advertised on comics. So I remember seeing print ads for like three of these films, and so the images are stuck in my head. So I knew about this film for a very long time, and it just it had never crossed my path until now. And you know, I, maybe had I seen it earlier, maybe I would have been more receptive to it. But yeah, it's just I don't know. I I expect. You know, it's got Keith David in it, and I love Keith David. See, that he is my absolute favorite part. But also at the same time, there's some stuff in this obviously that hasn't aged well. <laughs> how we treat Vietnam vets, oh. and also like the flashback to how you know Asians or whatever. I was like, ooh, that's not. Mm. Yeah. So, oh yeah. But it's oh. also 1990. You got to give stuff a grain of salt unless it's truly offensive. God, what is it? There's that uh, cartoon that just came out uh, on Netflix. The one where they're like. They're basically part of the Illuminati. Uh, they have an episode that is set in a town that's trapped, you know, perpetually in the 80s. Uh-huh. Basically, have like they have like a mind wiping compound that they occasionally will drop over, uh, and just kind of reverts them back, so then they can just resell all the old crap that is dangerous to uh, to this town. Because you know, <laughs> oh, we don't need to. We don't need to worry about this here. Just. Here's some dangerous shit that you can play with. But one of the one of the characters is uh, one of the main characters is Asian, and so every, everywhere he goes and every time he talks, all of a sudden there's a gong. <laughs> and he's dead in every '80s movie, <laughs> and he's constantly freaked out and pissed off that that this happens to him. What is this? Uh, he's like, it's not declassified. I, I would have. I'll, I'll tell you off. Okay. off air. I have to look it up again. I. It's it's really good. So you would prefer if this was more of an ecological drama or thriller? Yeah, I, either either it needed to be a lot, like I said, played a lot more straightforward. Uh, didn't mean doesn't mean that there couldn't be you know s- you know quote unquote silly things in it, like the idea that they're doing this whole thing with a uh, with a BB gun, you know, yeah. holding people up. That's fine, but it just a lot of the humor in this I think falls flat. Oh well, yeah, the end. Gets... The ending when they're doing this, the cartoon sounds and stuff like that. I think I don't think that works. But I think there's a lot of funny stuff in the dialogue, and I love their pathetic little contest between them and the other trash guys. <laughs> but it's like, but same thing with going like where with they're running around with a dead body and all this stuff, and it seems like you know if you had something that was a little more like Coen Brothers uh, like where it's a lot darker but but you have this there's still you're laughing at stuff i i kind of feel like there's definitely a version of this film that exists or that could exist that leans more into that sort of territory yeah oh well i think i think my favorite part of it is probably the first half where it really just kind of it's a slice of life look at these two losers who kind of want to be better but they're so self-destructive and you know, and a lot of it's the character-based scenes and the dialogue they have with each other, arguing over the dumbest shit. Uh, that part, to me, is more interesting than the whole conspiracy plotline. Yeah, once you, once you get into the into this film, for yeah, it doesn't kind of fall apart. Whereas, yeah, they act well against each other, and you kind of shows. Oh yeah, these guys are brothers. You kind of feel you kind of feel that. So our second film is Bird on a Wire, one I haven't seen since it originally came out. There's stuff I like about it, but there's a lot of stuff I don't like. And I remember this being a huge, huge hit at the time. 
And frankly, of the two 1990 Mel Gibson movies, I'm going to go with Air America. But there is, like, okay, I love director John Badham. He, no one ever talks about him. But he has a, a style that's kind of like a lower uh, stylized version of Peter Hyams. The way he lights and shoots action. He's really good at that. And he's good at the banter between characters. I think he perfected it best with Stakeout. I don't know if you've ever seen that. but um, Oh, yeah, yeah. I think the problem is a lot of this movie is just them improving with each other. It's not really for a uh, plot forward. It's it's kind of flimsy, and I really think the bad guys get a short shrift. They're hardly in this at all. Um, but it's mostly just the Goldie and Mel show. Yeah, and that's the thing. Yeah, you're right. This is kind of at the height of both their popularity, but in kind of thinking about it, it this film is just kind of okay. Yeah, there's the action stuff. I think is really interesting and well done. Um, like the the crashing scene at the at the the car shop that he's working at. I thought that was really well done. Um, but I think the zoo setting at the end was really clever and, and, and uh, unique. I don't know if I've ever seen. Has, has there ever been a movie set in a zoo? I feel like there has been where they had action sequences. Am I wrong? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure there have. I, nothing's come to, coming to mind. Oh no, I got it. It's a racer. Eraser. There's that giant CGI crocodile. Actually, you know what? I think there's some hijinks at uh, in Undercover Blues as well. Oh, which I uh, just uh, ordered. It's uh, going out of print, so if you want to get a copy, pick one up at deep discount because that company is going out of business. And, but, yeah, but, but one thing I where I think this doesn't work for me is the only thing is uh, in the interplay between Goldie Hawn and uh, Mel Gibson, I think it's I don't know. For some reason, it felt like, and this is kind of a little more cliched than what they what they go with. But I kind of didn't like the fact that they actually known each other prior, and I, I don't know. For some reason, it just it it didn't work, didn't ring true to me that they were that they had a very good relationship because it was mostly just kind of seemed like uh, she was just dealing with him for the first time. Granted, again seeing a man that is apparently been dead for 15 years and then you know getting into in getting to this adventure with him uh you know that's would be have would have some sort of disconnect but i don't know for some reason it just feels like it could have just been he, she just gets caught up in his in his thing some other uh reason for him getting uh, spotted results in you know the, the adventure that follows yeah i think the one scene that could have been lifted out of this because one it's kind of stupid and cliche and mildly offensive but also completely pointless is the whole uh i used to be a former hairstylist and everybody just happens to be gay you know what you can like cutting hair and not be gay what the hell is that bullshit i don't know that was i, I had fun with that i know it's out it's very outdated stereotyping and and very flamboyant and yes uh, somewhat problematic but it is it, i had fun with with that especially considering that uh oh god what, what what's the, the guy who runs that that hair salon i can't remember i even watched yesterday it, i can't remember but it's not a, a known actor that i know of Oh well, yeah, no, not the actor himself necessarily, but uh, the character. I was trying to think, like, it's like maybe like Ralph. It's like it's like Ralph, oh, okay. but the way it's spelled is so odd, you know. And it'd be like Bob, but just B A U B. 
some it's some, something similar to that and i just kind of like the the terms the, the terms of negotiation for allowing back into his life was <laughs> oh I, yeah I did, that was did, that was good yeah yeah he did he played it well um, the, the one person who didn't get anything to chew on, and I've always been a big fan, I wish he had something to do, really, was David Carradine. But, you know, this is a point where David Carradine's career was rock bottom, well, close to rock bottom, and he gets the chance at a studio film, so he's going to take it. And that's a big thing that happens with these kind of action comedies, is if the two main people are playing off each other a lot, it doesn't matter who the villain is. And half the time it's Peter, you know, like Peter Green or Eric Roberts or something, an actor who's reliable not expensive, but doesn't really have anything to do, so it's kind of a waste. Yeah, it's like it, Bill Duke and and uh, Carradine are there, and that's kind of the problem with them as well. It's just, uh, yeah, you, I wish they had more to do. Well, the one person who did have a bunch to do, and I can't remember his name, but he's the one that's in um, Stephen Tobolowsky, that's it. He's from like uh, Sneakers and uh, uh, Groundhog Day and a whole bunch of other stuff, but he is the one villain who's the least threatening, but he has the most to work with. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It took, it took me a second, like, wait, wait, wait. Oh, and I'm going, oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah, it's because he's a liaison or whatever. So I think I think sometimes the whole the whole um, on-the-run plot uh, kind of takes over for what actually happened and what are the risks and all that stuff. I think that's kind of pushed aside. It reminds me of that movie Night and Day. I don't know if you ever saw with Tom Cruise and uh, Cameron Diaz, but it has that same kind of feel where – the banter, the improving is more important than the actual plot. Yeah, well, like I said, this is this is a film that was at, at the height of our two stars' career, you know, popularity. So you throw them together, and the sparks are expected to happen regardless of what the story really is. Yeah. All right. So our third film is uh, where is it? Ernest goes to jail. I think the last good Ernest movie. Um, I know some people worship Ernest Scares Stupid, but man, I rolled my fucking eyes so hard that I went back in time. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Well, this one, is the last that... one that's not aimed at kids, where it's more families. You know, it, it, I remember when I was 13, this came out, and all, all the people in our age group went to go see this. And then the next year and a half, whatever, year and a half later, when Ernest Scares Stupid is, it's like... Ernest didn't evolve with his audience. He went so far back, and that's why Scared Stupid is a bum. I think I think the biggest one was Christmas. They were never very expensive, but I think this one was pretty close to the same box office as uh, Christmas. Of the four main Disney releases, which is your favorite? Oh, actually, I would probably go with this one. Although I'm also I lean a bit towards Camp as well. Yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff in Camp, but there's kind of a weird absurdity in this one that I appreciate in, in the fact that they ditch kids this time. This is the only one where it's not either come directly aimed at small children or has children involved in it, and it's that whole. It's kind of like a Hitchcock spoof in a way, like the wrong man gets set up and he has a dupe. Um, I could go the rest of my life though without ever seeing another. I think we just talked about this too. Another movie where there's two people who look exactly alike and he goes, he's the real one, no, I'm the real one, no, he's the real one. Well, let me give you a fact that, you know, and whatever, and then it goes, ha-ha, that was never it, and they shoot him. Whatever, I hate that shit in movies, and I hope no one ever does it again. Well, this is the thing, is with this movie, you actually really get to see how good an actor Jim Varney is. Oh, yeah. Well, there's a scene in Christmas when he has to pretend to be like the snake guy trying to get in. 
whatever, and then he's like, is a dear old aunt and stuff like that. You start to see some of the characters that he would play. But did you ever see his TV show uh, called Hey Vern, It's Ernest? Yes. Uh, I don't remember that clip was in. Oh, God. You know, mostly when they aired. But, yeah, yeah, I do remember seeing the show. That's when he was really let loose because it was very low budget. They had to shoot it very fast. But he, they let him play all these crazy characters, and he brought that over to Ernest Scared Stupid. Or uh, Ernest Goes to Jail. And, yes. I, I mean, I think people start to recognize now that he was a good actor. He was just kind of held to this one role. Well, but he... Well, it's like speaking of speaking of him as a good actor is it's not a particularly good movie, but you've seen the Beverly Hillbillies, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. He is phenomenal. Like, it's not a good movie, but it I would recommend seeing that movie just for Jim Varney because he brings it. He's he he's a total highlight of this film, and he can actually almost make me cry at moments in that damn film. <laughs> and that film's and that film is really stupid. <laughs> Well, here's the other thing about Ernest uh, Goes to Jail is that there's a little bit more money, and I feel like it's lit better. It has an actual tone, unlike the rest of the movies in all his franchise. Uh, you know, it's shot with some style. It has better lighting. The, they're using different camera angles to make things look denser. But also, the story's more complicated, you know, with the whole the bad Jim Varney and the good Jim Varney and the people in prison trying to help him and, or help the bad guy keep him in there or whatever. And then there's the people on the outside. I think the prison part is so well done. Um, yeah, well, and what's nice is people actually kind of comment, you know, like outside of the, uh, the little uh, Ernst world, outside of this little bubble, people are kind of commenting on the hijinks and stuff that make up Ernest and aren't really there for his tomfoolery. But also, do you... I am of the mind that Ernest isn't stupid, at least with the Disney movies. I feel like they made his character really stupid with the directed video line. But um, I just feel like he's one of those guys that's very absent-minded, gets caught up in his own kind of thing that he doesn't pause to think. Like, he panics and stuff like that where, you know, he just not... He's not cool, calm, and collected, but he's not a moron. He's just a lovable goof. Yeah, I mean, I'm, he... I'm not that far off from Ernest sometimes in my, you know, instant, impulsive, rash behavior, but I'm not a moron. Yeah, I... It's the same, because even, even in those Disney films, he does kind of lean a little bit more so into, you know, duller territory, but it's not... Yeah, I don't think necessarily that he does... You know, he's a moron or anything like that. He's, yeah, uh, I guess, yeah, again, I just feel like he's 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 a live action goofy. Basically. Yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. And especially in this film, because which is the funniest thing about this film is it's also very, in a way, it's like without the kids and all that stuff. It is weirdly grounded, which allows for the very oddball over-the-top Electro Man stuff at the end of the film to somehow work because Ernest does not properly exist in a tangible reality. And it's now, here's a goof, here's this weird goof in the reality doing weird, goofy things and people are just kind of having to roll with it. Yeah. With the absurdity of it. Uh, I think the scene when he's in the court... And the pen breaks. 
and he has to cover it up with paper and shove it in his mouth and everyone just keeps noticing how fucked up he is <laughs> i think it's an all-time i that, that scene just makes me laugh every single time it it freaks me out because i'm afraid one day when i bite into a pen that's gonna happen to me <laughs> understandably so <laughs> alright so our final film is House Party the launch barely I, we talk, did we talk about how the weirdness of House Party uh, launched Kid and Play into like a, a, a mini franchise for a few years oh, you mean, we, yeah. we were talking about their album I don't, how did this well, happen we, well we didn't talk about their album but we were talking about I, I forget which, which album we, we were discussing but uh, we did bring up Kid Play did get brought up and yeah, that's the thing is, I've never, I, to my knowledge, up until this film, I've never heard any kid playing songs. I basically they were a brand that was what I knew them for. It just feels like you, it feels like I don't want to condescend or insult them, but it feels like it's like an agent package. Like, hey, we can sell this to households in the suburbs, whatever. Parents will love them. They're funny and goofy, whatever. And and then I I think that people forget that the first house party is pretty good in what it's trying to do. It's not, it's a comedy, but it's not like a, a silly goofball comedy. It's a legitimate, like just trying to store, tell a story of one regular night in his neighborhood and the shit that he has to deal with, which I mean is relatable to everybody. But the one thing they do, uh, they throw in a little bit of that social commentary with like, he's just walking to a party and the cops pull him over for no reason whatsoever. And even someone of his own race is treating him shitty. Well, it's, like, it's not even just that. It's like the cops are constantly pulling everybody who's just walking and minding their own business, pulling them over and hassling them. And even at the, the party that they that kid and the bullies crash ends up, you know, just how you can see the, the relationship between the people and the police are, you know, not, not this is like these older and it seems like, even though I guess you know some of these guys are living in the projects, you know, it kind of seems like well, well-to-do sort of party. This this uh, older class, you know, class reunion party. They definitely do not want to have anything to do with these two white guys who are basically acting like little fascists running around and hassling everybody. Yeah, and I think it's one of the very first and few uh, comedies that was just geared at uh, African-American teenagers, but was truly accessible to anybody, really. But why is it so hard to get a almost completely African-American cast? Why they, Whenever I see movies like this, they, uh, they're either very, very low budget and they barely get released, or uh, it, oh, we have to put in everybody. Like one black, you know, the token. Black guy, the token Asian character, whatever, and then a bunch of cute white people from a, a WB. Why is this so hard? This movie made money. So I'm just shocked that no one ever ever bothered to continue this concept. I don't know. I, Hollywood does what it does, and unfortunately, representation is not one of the things that it does very well. And I, I, I appreciate the early years of New Line Cinema before they had all that money and then Warner Brothers bought them up because they were kind of just spitballing what audiences are being neglected what's some new thing that can be shown to the world and we might have a hit i mean this cost what one or two million dollars and they made 25 and there's a whole bunch more of these 
Uh, two is good. I don't know if you have you seen any. You haven't seen any of the sequels, no. right? Yeah, I've never I've never seen any of them. I know of them. I know like I knew about the Pajama Jamma Jam. Yeah, so that one's I've never seen the film. The second one isn't as good, but it's still pretty good. It's it's pretty close. I I, I enjoy it. Uh, three is unfucking watchable. It's about them getting married, and it is brutal. I made it twenty minutes into it before I said, "Nope, I'm out." Um. Because they had good directors on the first two. They had Reginald Hudlin, and then they had Doug McHenry, and I don't know who the fuck they had for the third one, but that was clearly just a cash-in. It was so bad. And then there's, like, a directed video series. I think there's a four and a five um, with, its, with like, a, a much younger cast, and it really doesn't have anything to do with the first few movies. Um, but I see the first two, yes. After that, skip them. Let's see. Oh, the one thing about this film especially is interesting is how much it both was inspired by and definitely inspired afterwards a lot of those going to a, a person's house for a party movies. What what came before this? I know there's bits and pieces uh, like of other movies, but like the whole concept. Well, like like weird like weird science and okay, some of the okay, like, gotcha. like John Fusey things like risky business like a little bit of that is kind of in this but then you, you look to like any film that's, that came after it and you can see a lot of house party in what those films did yeah um, but I, I have to do what did bother me I had to pause it and go do something at one point and at, when I got up I went I'm only 40 minutes into this <laughs> What the fuck do they have for another hour? <laughs> what do they have to do? What did they say? My God. <laughs> and, you know, I wasn't disappointed on the second half of that, but I I do think there is, if you're going to say anything really negative about this film, is I guess the pacing is a little off because I really felt like I had gotten, once they had gotten to the party, I thought, oh, we're, we're now going to be, you know, the bullies will show up, they'll get their comeuppance, and uh, you know we'll get we'll get to the end of the film, and that that takes a while for that to happen. Yeah. But of the four, which do you prefer? You know what? I will go with House Party. I as much as I enjoy uh, I enjoy Ernest Goes to Jail. I had seen that one before, so three films that I really hadn't seen. House Party definitely takes it. Okay. Um, so Men at Work is my favorite of the four. Sorry you didn't like it as much, even though I understand totally why it has issues. Um, it's what I, what I like about it, though, is that you picked movies you had not seen. You could have picked comfort watches that you knew and trusted, and that's, that's an interesting uh, getting out of your comfort zone kind of thing to do. So cool on you, buddy. I wasn't being condescending at all. No, no. It, oh, like, well, originally it was like two. Uh, I had it as two kids movies and two grown-up comedies, effectively, and uh, we couldn't do Home Alone for other reasons. Yes, because if I did, uh, I'm pretty sure Jacob would have come through the phone line, strangled me, and then uh, quit the show. <laughs> if I take that away from him, we'd be so sad. But yes, Saw for Kids was not going to be our uh, was not the fourth film on this list, sadly. Yeah. All right, so uh, announcements. Uh, this is the end of our part of 1990. Jacob and I will be finishing the last two segments of the movies of 1990, and then we'll be back after I move, probably late January, with 1991. All righty. Okay, do your plugs. Okay, I am on Twitter and on Twitch under Musician, M-Y-U-Z-I-S-H-I-O-N. Come check me out. Say Hi. 
follow me, please. I have like followers, especially on Twitch. Okay, and we are on, uh, you know, all the podcast hosts under Hit Rewind. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and we are out. Have a good night. Later.